Father in heaven, we boldly proclaim we will not be shaken because our foundation is on your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives, our souls, our families, our church, the ministry is founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. On you, Lord, we want you to be magnified. We want you to be exalted. We want you to be lifted up. Be magnified at Calvary Chapel, Irmo. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this sure foundation. Jesus, you said in your word, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away. Your word connects us with you. Mm. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this foundation. We love you. We praise you. We magnify you. We're not here out of tradition, religion, or duty, but we're here to meet the living God in worship and in the word. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So this morning, we're beginning a new book, 1 John. 1 John. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to uh, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we're looking at these uh, 10 verses here in this opening chapter. And uh, 1 John chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3 so we can get our minds oriented in the direction that the scriptures are going to take us this morning. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, that we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, as we dive into it now, teach us, lead us, guide us, and strengthen our faith. Strengthen our foundation. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen and amen. So the title of my teaching this morning is Walking in the Light. Walking in the Light. What does it mean to walk in the light? What comes to your mind when you hear people in the church, Christians talking about walking in the light? What walking in the light means, it means to live out the truth of Christianity as revealed in the New Testament and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as a faithful believer and follower. That's what the scripture talks about when it talks about walking in the light. And evidently, when we talk about walking in the light, you can't help but to think, what's the opposite of light? Darkness. You know, people in this world, you either are walking in light or you're walking in darkness. There is no in-between, okay? And we're going to see that this probably this next, I'm going to guess, three months in our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to see John draw a dividing line, a contrast between, between uh, light and darkness, love and hatred, truth and error, 
the love of the Father or the love of the world. Children of God, children of the devil. To know God, to not know God. To have eternal life, to not have eternal life. So what John does in these epistles is he's drawing a line down the middle and says, this is what it means to walk in the light. This is what it means to walk in darkness. This is what it means to have eternal life. This is what it means to not have eternal life. So he draws a defining line between darkness and light. Now, we just spent the past couple of months studying Peter. And back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we see that throughout Scripture, that there, there's light and there's darkness. And when you become a born-again Christian, God is calling you out of the darkness of the world into his glorious light through the cross. Through the cross. That's where a person first steps out of darkness into light is when they put their trust in Calvary. They put their trust in the cross. At the cross, all their sins are forgiven. They're given a new life by his resurrection from the dead. They're given the hope and the belief and the confidence of knowing they have eternal life, and he fills them with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the light, to follow him with all your heart. Now, historical context. What is taking place as John is writing First, second, and third John. John is writing this letter that you and I are about to embark on. Scholars say around 90 AD to combat a heresy known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which was heavily influenced by Greek culture and Plato, taught that everything spiritual and heavenly, um, everything spiritual and heavenly was good, and everything of the earth was evil. So Gnostics embraced, the Gnostics, they embraced the deity of Christ, but they rejected his humanity. They did not believe that Jesus had a physical body. Rather, he was some kind of disembodied, uh, quasi-spirit being. And John is going to set the record straight that not not only is he the eternal son of God, deity, God, but he is also 100% man. Paul talks about this in Philippians. It's called the the hypostatic union. The Lord Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man. That's who Christ was. And John in this epistle is going to teach you and I how to walk in the truth, defend the truth, and live out the truth, and walk in light. Let's do it, guys. 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 1 says... That was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse 2, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you uh, the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So the first thing John does in this letter to combat Gnosticism, he was like, is Jesus was not a disembodied quasi-spirit being, someone floating around the earth. 
It says there, it says, he says, we, he had flesh. He had flesh. Jesus had a physical body that you could touch. And John says here, we have heard him. And notice he says, not only have we seen him, but we've seen him with our eyes. And we've touched him with our hands. Again, Jesus was 100% God. He was 100% man. When Jesus came to this world, he preexisted from all eternity. And he took on flesh there at the virgin birth. So he's, John is dispelling this heresy that began at the end of the first century. And if you read church history, it became full-blown in, in, in the second century. And the faithful church had to defend uh, very vigorously not only the, the deity of Christ, but the humanity of Christ. But I, what I want you to notice in verses 1 and 2 is this, what Jesus is called. In verse 1, he's called the word of life. The word of life. Jesus Christ is the word of life. Uh, this phrase, word of life, is a picture of what Jesus does in our life. He is the word of life. What does the word of life mean? It means he brings us back to life. According to Ephesians chapter 2, you and I were dead in our sins we were in darkness, incapable of having life, spiritual life. And Jesus brought us back from the dead and brought us to life when he gave us the faith to believe and trust in him. This phrase, word of life, is a picture of Christ forgiving you of all your sin. All your sin. You're washed. You're made clean by the word of life. He brings life, okay? He brings forgiveness of sin. He brings people back to life. If people would see Jesus in all his glory, in all the ways that the New Testament describes him, they would come running. They would come running. This phrase, word of life, he restores our mind. He restores our mind. You know, our world right now, the, the thinking in people's minds is one of the greatest things that are deteriorating today. And what people need more than anything is a restored, sound mind. And that's exactly what Jesus does because he is the word of life. He puts our life back together. He, the, the word of life. He puts our life back together. Uh, uh, you know, sin wrecks life. We make very, I, I made a million poor decisions before I came to Christ. And I wrecked a lot of things in my life before I came to Christ. But when I did come to Christ, he began the process of putting me back together. Why? Because he's the word of life. He is life. He is eternal life. So verse 1 describes him as the word of life. Verse 2 describes him Notice in verse 2, the NASB says, this says, the eternal life. In other words, he's, he's calling Jesus the eternal life. I think sometimes this phrase, eternal life, can become like wallpaper to us. And we forget its deep, rich meaning. Uh, Christ has defeated our greatest enemy, death itself, and he's given us eternal life. 
He's given us eternal life. Eternal life is more than endless existence. For the unbeliever will spend an endless existence in hell. But eternal life, as Jesus is presented, is being in the presence of God now and throughout all eternity. Right now, we just experience his Holy Spirit. And we experience his presence. But one day, friends and family, you are going to experience his visible presence in the glory of heaven. That is eternal life. It's not just the sweet by and by, praise God for that. But it's the here and now. When a person receives Christ, eternal life begins now. Because you are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So, going back to the title of my message, Walking in the Light. We walk in the light, friends and family, when we rightly understand Jesus. Number one, John combating the heresy of Gnosticism, we understand that Jesus was 100% deity and he was 100% man. But also we understand in his 100% deity and his 100% man that he came to restore relationship. He came on a rescue mission. And in his omniscience, he had each and every one of you guys on his mind. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Let's continue. Verse 3. That we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When I look at verse 3, there's two words that stand out to me. Did you see those two big words that I saw? Fellowship. Fellowship. You and I walk in the light. The, the, the thesis, the theme of my message this morning. You and I walk in the light when we have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and each other. That's walking in the light. That's walking in the light. When you have communion with God, when you're spending time with the Father and spending time with the Lord and have fellowship with him through prayer and reading and Bible study, that is walking in the light. But walking in the light is also walking hand in hand with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That word fellowship, it means koinonia, relationships. It means sharing life together. And the basis of our fellowship is Jesus Christ. That's the basis of our fellowship. He is the reason you and I know each other. If it would have not have been for Jesus, I would have missed out. I would have possibly missed out on knowing Maurice Monroe. How tragic is that? How tragic is that? But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Maurice is one of my best buds. He's one of my friends. And, I, and this is my friend, and we're doing life together. How about Stephanie James? If it would not have been for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would not have met my beloved sister, Stephanie. How about uh, Paige Grace, George Grace, Greg, Deb, all you guys out here? We know each other, and we have fellowship, not because our paths cross and we like the same sports team, but we met each other and we came into fellowship because of our faith in Christ Jesus. Hey, you're a Christian? So am I. You go to Calvary Chapel? So do I. 
So that brings us into fellowship. And that's the kind of fellowship that we have, that, that is walking in the light, is being in fellowship. Family, not only do you need a relationship with God, and a deeply intimate, abiding relationship with God, but you need a relationship with each other. Okay? Men, you need to get to know the men. Women, you need to get to know the women. That is so vitally important. It's, it's, it's like night and day at times when you have close friends and you don't have close friends. Excuse me, it's like, it is like night. It is night and day. We need to have fellowship. So what does fellowship look like according to the Bible? What does the Bible talk about fellowship within the church? I want to bring up a passage for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This describes fellowship in the body of Christ. What does fellowship look like? Let's see what the word says. It says, they were continually, here's the first one, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship is when you and I get together and we get into the word. We get into the word and we read the scriptures together and we talk about it. We talk about the meanings of the words and what, how does it apply to our life? What does it mean in its historical context? And then how do we apply this to our life? But we get into the word together. It says, continuing, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which is what we're doing now, and to breaking of bread. Guys, there's some ladies out there right now. Guys and ladies. There's some ladies out there right now. As soon as church lets out and you open the door, there's going to be a whole spread of food. Fried chicken, Texas peat, uh, potato salad that we made. There's going to be a lot of food. Stay, stay, and let's break bread together. That There's an intimacy that forms when you have a meal. Do you know that? There's a spiritual. When you have brothers and sisters together eating a meal, throwing down some fried chicken together, you are having fellowship with each other. And to prayer, verse, uh, 42, verse 42, walking in the light, having fellowship is praying for each other. It's, it's praying for one another and checking on each other. And it says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Verse 44, and all those who believed, excuse me, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. You know, we have a lot of things in common. We have a lot of things in common, family, as we get to know each other and we experience life. We start sharing ideas and thoughts and things we do. And next thing you know, we're like, man, we have a lot in common. And I believe we here have a lot in common. Verse 45, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day and night, they continued with, there it is, look guys, with one mind. Our one mind, our one commonality in our mind is to serve Christ and to love each other and care for each other and be there for each other. In the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. I love that. Having favor with all the people. You know, there's such a chemistry. There's such a fellowship within our body that people look and say, man, y'all really got it going on there. You know, our fellowship, our camaraderie, our love, our devotion to Christ first and then to each other, draws people in. They want that. They want that fellowship. God has placed it within every human being to have 
fellowship and to have intimacy, not only with God, but also with each other. Let's do that, family. And that's the pattern of Calvary Chapel, is the breaking of bread, praying, getting into the word, having all things in common, continuing with one mind, and praising God and having favor with all the people. Let's continue in our verse-by-verse study. Look at verse 4. He says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I love that. I love that. You know, joy does the heart well. Think about it. A joyful heart versus a worried heart. We've all experienced a worried heart at times and had, had difficulties and trials that weighed on our mind. And it just pulls us down. It just weighs us down. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have joy. We have joy. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says in that Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord. doesn't say rejoice in your circumstance or rejoice in situation that you find yourself in life, but rejoice in the Lord. You know, I, I, I lead the way in guilt when I place my eyes on the circumstances of my life and what's happening around me, and I let it pull me down, okay? Have you ever done that? I have. But I have to dig down deep, look to the Word of God, and say, you know what, God, I'm going to take my eyes off my situation. I'm going to take my eyes off the circumstances. I'm going to take my eyes off what the doctor says, and I'm going to put my eyes on you, Jesus. No matter what happens, I'm safely and eternally secure in your arms. And when I do that, joy begins to build in our life. Let's have that joy in the Lord. Let's walk in that joy. Uh, The source of joy is that you and I are united with Christ and each other. Are you low on joy? Is your joy tank low? Spend some time with Christ. Spend some time with brothers. Man, we love you guys. We love each other. And and when when someone's going through a difficult situation or has got a a bad medical report or or whatever's going on in life negative, man, we want to love you, man. We want to go come alongside you and help you and love on you and hopefully fill your joy tank. So let's walk in joy, family. Verse 5. This is the foundation of why we walk in the light. Verse 5. This is the foundation of why you and I walk in the light. Verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness in God. God is a God of light. This word, this imagery, you know, we're talking about walking in the light. This imagery reveals God for who he is. When we say God is light, what we're saying is, when the scripture says God is light, there is no moral blemish in God. God is absolutely 100% perfect. He is perfect. There is no darkness at all in him. He is without sin. He is perfect in everything he says. He is perfect in his will. 
He is perfect in his character. He is perfect in his judgment. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is high. He is lifted up. He is God. He is God. James 1.17 says, For every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. God is light. This speaks of his purity. This speaks of his holiness. You know, the angels surround the throne 24-7, seven days a week, throughout all in, in eternity, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is light. And God, according to James 1.17, and where Paul says in, in Timothy, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be the glory. God shines his light down from heaven. He shines his light down from heaven into our darkness, and he invites us to step out of the darkness and step into the light through the cross, through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is light, and he is perfect, and he is holy. Verse 6, verse 6 says, For we, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Remember what I talked about in the opening of my sermon? And throughout these, You're going to see this probably every single week in our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You're going to see this, this contrast, this contrast between two uh, polar opposite things. Did you see the contrast in verses 6 and 7? The contrast in verses 6 and 7 is walking in darkness versus walking in the light. To walk in darkness, uh, verse 6 says, to it says, talks about walking in darkness. To walk in darkness means this. It means you accept sin as a way of life, meaning that there is no fight. You say you believe in Christ, but you walk in defiance to his word. And according to verse 6, when we walk in this darkness, this is not talking about a struggle. This is not talking about the Christian's war, the Christian's fight, where he wins some battles and he loses battles. This is an outright defiance to Scripture a defiance to the word of God to continue to know when the scripture says to not do something, but you continue to do it. He says in verse 6, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But in verse 7, the contrast, verse 6 was walk in darkness. Verse 7 is, is walk in light. But to walk in the light means that we pursue Christ and we place him first. Again, this does not mean you are perfect. No one's perfect. And if you, if you get that little thought in your head, it's, it's, fixing to get, it's, it's fixing to get dealt with here in a few verses. But uh, it does not mean you're perfect, but rather by his grace. To walk in the light means rather by his grace, you are growing in your love and obedience to Christ. That's what it means to walk in the light. To say, Lord Jesus, I love you, I praise you, and I want to walk in obedience to your word and I want to follow you with all my heart. Which path are you walking this morning? Are you walking the path of darkness? 
or are you walking in the light? To walk in darkness means we're, we're walking towards the things of the sinful world. To walk in light means, man, I'm following Jesus. Not perfect. I don't have it all together. But, but I'm growing in sanctification. That word sanctification, that big theological word that people don't like to talk about, sanctification is simply being set apart and growing. Being set apart and growing. is God growing you in your Christian walk and taking you from victory to victory and growing in your walk with him. That's what it means to, to walk in the light. Now look at, verses, uh, look at verse 8. I'm actually going to teach verse 8, verse 10, and then I'm going to go to verse 9. So just bear with me. You'll see why. Verses 8 and 10 mirror each other, and verse 9 um, we'll close with. But let's take a look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Family, friends, perfectionist out there, there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian. Christians battle sin too. Sometimes we win some battles. Sometimes we lose some battles. But we are in the fight. And there's, there's no such thing as sinless perfectionism. If you think you've arrived, well, guess what? That's the sin of pride. <laughs> That's the center of pride. But we humbly say, thank you, Lord, for growing me in holiness, growing me in my walk with him. Let's look at verse 10, because verse 10 mirrors verse 8. Um, verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Man, I don't know about you, but since I've become a Christian, and the more time I spend in the word... And the more time I pray, the more wretched I find myself. The more wretched I find myself. So don't be condemned in your heart after you become a Christian and start, stuff starts coming out. Because it, it will start coming out. That's called sanctification. That's called growing. But yeah, when I, when I got saved and became a Christian, I realized all those obvious external sins that were blatant and obvious that I repented and turned from. But after I became a Christian, I really realized how deeply wretched I was. Family, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Let me tell you why it's a good place to be. Because you'll be thankful for the cross. You'll be thankful that he showed it to you. You'll be thankful, Lord, thank you for showing this to me. And how does he deal with you? He doesn't drop the gavel on you. After you become a Christian, the judgment for your sin fell on Jesus at the cross. After you become a Christian, he deals with you by grace and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings his divine finger down on an area of your life and brings it to your attention as you're reading the word or as you're studying, you're reading the word or praying and he says, hey, you need to bring this area. You need to bring this area to my throne of grace. That's grace. There's no such thing. Verse 8, looking at these two verses, verse 8 warns 
us against thinking or saying that we are perfect or thinking that we have arrived or thinking that we are holier than thou because we're not. Jesus is holier than thou. And we don't, we don't, we don't think that way. Paul says in um, Romans chapter 7, he talks about this is after Paul became a Christian, after he had the Damascus Road experience. This is many years later. He's writing to the Christians at Rome, and he gives his own testimony of what's taking place in his heart. The, 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 the apostle Paul, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But I am going, but I am doing the very thing I do not want. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells within me. See, after you become a Christian, man, that's when, I mean, the battle and, and the cleansing begins, you know, through discipleship, through fellowship. God begins to grow us. And he reveals to us the extent of our fallen nature. And, and don't let, don't be condemned or don't let this condemnate, the spirit of condemnation come over you. You know, be thankful that after you become a Christian, that God shows you your areas of weakness. That's the Holy Spirit. That's grace. He's not going to let us stay in our sin. He's going to lovingly, gracefully take us from a place of disobedience to obedience, to a place of darkness to a place of light, walking in darkness to walking in light. And he graciously forgives us. What we need in our war against sin is three things. One, a focused mind. A focused mind. We got, we got, we got to be focused in the zone. Our mind's got to be in it. Our heart's got to be in it. And we got to say, man, I want this. I want this. And I'm not going to let nothing or nobody stand in the way of my Bible reading, of my fellowship, of going to church or going to fellowship or having tea with the ladies and that fellowship dynamics and us men getting together and going fishing and going places and doing things and, and spending time with one another. Man, when me and Gary go out fishing and hunting, man, we have some of the very best fellowship. Some of the very best, some of the best times of fellowship is when, when we go hunting, we go fishing, we spend time. Or when I meet some of you guys for coffee or we're meeting here in the men's Bible study room. That stuff is so vitally important, and we got to have a focused mind. Secondly, in our war against sin, we need the grace of God. We need the grace of God. You can't do it on your own, okay? You're helpless. You're hopeless. You're like me. Can't do it. Unqualified. Can't fix it. But God can. But God's grace can. And we need the grace of God. We need God's unmerited favor operating in our lives in our war against sin. So your war against sin, a focused mind, the grace of God, and number three, you need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. You need the Spirit of God. You know, um, daily, daily, 
And, and as often as I think about it, you know, as a born-again Christian walking in the Spirit, I will bow my head in my study or at my home or wherever I'm at, and I'll just say, Holy Spirit, I just re-surrender. I just, re, not, not rededicate, but I re-surrender. Lord, let me walk in submission to you today. Because as Christians, we walk by the Spirit, but as we're living life, there's this temptation. There's this natural tendency to go from spiritually thinking people to fleshly-minded people. And sometimes we have to re-remind ourselves and be recommitted to yielding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit does heart surgery. Does heart surgery by the grace of God when he sees that focused mind and that focused heart. So, we looked at verses 8 and 10. Knowing, knowing, okay, that sin dwells in us, okay? Everybody here, we're all in the same boat together. Knowing now the fact of what we just looked at and knowing that sin dwells in us, and what I mean by sin is the temptations, the streamer thoughts. You know what streamer thoughts are? It's like that thought that just comes into your head and you're like, where did that come from? The next thing you know, it's a streamer thought. It comes in your head and it kind of bounces around for a little bit kind of bounces around and you think man where did that come from why am i struggling with streamer thoughts of wicked evil streamer thoughts or the battle within how do we deal in those areas of our life don't be condemned okay romans chapter 8 verse 1 says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ so what do we do with the struggle what do we do with the battle and we will close with the verse that addresses, that answers this question. Take a look at verse 9. Verse 9. Love this verse. If we confess our sins, he says, if we, he's talking about the believers, okay? He's talking about the Christians he's writing to. If we, the believers, confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from, look at it closely, some unrighteousness? No, all, all unrighteousness. That's the grace of God, family. He doesn't hang it over our head. When we confess it and forsake it, he forgives us. To con- to that, that phrase in verse 9, um, it says to confess our sins. What does confess your sin mean? Simply means being honest. Being honest with God. Don't try to hide it because he can see it. He's God. Okay? He knows you. He knows your heart better than you do. And he sees it all. And what we do with our moral failures, what Pastor David does with his moral failures is he lays them at the foot of the cross. And I confess them. I'm open and honest and I say, Lord, I'm struggling in this area. Please help me. Lord, here is the sin. I repent. Please forgive me. And I leave it at the cross. That's what it means to confess your sins. Don't confess your sin to me because I can't forgive you. Okay? Don't confess your sins to a priest because he can't forgive you. Confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because he will forgive you. So after we confess our sins, kind of mentioning what I mentioned a while ago, but as it relates to verse 9, we ask for the Holy Spirit's empowerment and help. So you confess your sin. Number two, you ask for the Holy Spirit's help and his empowerment. You know, when we ask for the Holy Spirit's help, he gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. He, sees, he lets us see our situation that's surrounding us. And number one, we eliminate the source of temptation. Whatever that thing is that's causing us to fall, that's, that's causing us to um, sin against God, we remove it in our life. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, do we need to come to church next Sunday with a bunch of eyes plucked out? No. But what he's saying, that's a hyperbole. Jesus is teaching about hyperbole. He's making an exaggerated point. What Jesus is saying in that verse is, whatever that causes you to fall, whatever causes you to sin, remove it from your life. So if the computer is causing you to sin, remove it from your life. Whatever that source of temptation is, we have to remove it from our life. And then we have to repent. And then we have to turn away. And we have to place it at the foot of the cross and confess it to him. And what is the promise? We confess our sins. Look at the promise. I love this. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And he is righteous. Jesus has the authority and the power and the dominion to forgive your sin. Because he is God. And he's not some quasi-gnostic spirit floating around, but he was the 100% God, 100% man that John is talking about in this letter. He is faithful, he is righteous, and uh, he will forgive. He will forgive. There's no sin. There's no sin that's greater than the cross. There's no sin in this world that cannot be forgiven through the cross. That is the power of the cross. If I told you about my life before Christ, you'd be like, your jaw might drop. But all that that was done before Christ is forgiven. And he's merciful. He's mighty. He's holy. He's great. And he has all authority to forgive so when Jesus, when Jesus says you're forgiven, who cares what other people think or what the world thinks? It's, what, it's, it's, in the, it's, it's the eyes of God we care about. It's his, his opinion that we care about. He will cleanse. I want to close with this verse, Proverbs 28, 13. He will forgive and he will cleanse according to verse 9. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13 says, For he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. If we hold on to our sin, if we keep it to ourselves, we try to hide it, what's the scripture say? You will not prosper. That sin will torment you. That sin will torment your mind. It will torment your heart. Yeah, other people may not know about it, but God knows, and you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find the grace of God, or as the text says, will find compassion. And I think it's the amplified version. If anybody's reading out the amplified version, it says you will find 
compassion and mercy. That is the grace of God. That is what we need in life, family. We need grace. We need the Spirit. We need His work in our lives, men, to be godly men who love our, li- who love our wives. I say love our life, sorry. To love our wives and to lay ourselves down for them. Ladies, what we need is Christ. What we all need is his work in our life. Open your heart to him and say, Lord, go, leave here today after we eat some chicken. Leave here today and say, Lord, do that work in my life. Let me grow in the grace of God. Let me walk in the light as he is in the light. And let's have fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and each other. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for 1 John chapter 1, Lord. And Father, we, uh, we have been fed this morning spiritually in our hearts. And Lord, thank you for this truth. Now, Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to walk in the truth. And help us to love you, Lord, with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Thank you for your word. It's still true today, and it's still changing lives. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Lord God. Amen.